All right. It is truly a joy to get to speak to you guys today. I I love to preach and I love this church and the fact that those two have come together is just really really exciting for me. Uh we are in week 3 of Advent and week 3 represents joy. And so um I just just really joyful about this. Um, we sang earlier about the angel appearing to the shepherds with his tidings of, of um, you know, with his great tidings that shall be to all, all people. And, and this, this good news, we, we think about that. Um, it wasn't a new message. Uh, it, that message had been prophesied for, uh, for hundreds of years. In fact, hundreds of years earlier, God spoke to the prophet Isaiah, uh, making this promise. He said, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin shall conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you're here regularly, you'll, you'll notice right away, Matt preaches from the Common English Bible. I'm preaching from the New Living Translation, and I hope that doesn't throw you off. If it does, just follow along on the screen, and, um, and we'll be good. And so, uh, but, but the, 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 the scripture that, that this, this announcement came, this wasn't the first time, you know, when the, the angels appeared to the shepherds, it wasn't the first time that the angels had appeared and made this announcement about Jesus' coming. We know the Christmas story well enough. We know that an angel appeared to Mary and said, hey, um, you're going to give birth to the Savior. And she's like, mm, can't do that. Um, you know, there's reasons. And, and the angel said, no, you are going to do that because with God, nothing is impossible. And then we know that the angel also appeared to Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, you know that story Mary told you about the angel appearing to her? And it's legit. Go ahead and marry her. It's going to be okay. You know, and don't be afraid to do that. And a matter of fact, when Matthew's telling us about that account, he also says all of this happened to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then Matthew repeats that. So let's look at that. In the New Testament, Matthew says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, in this series, um, Matt's been doing, and I, I love this series, he's taking a little different approach to it. And, and you may be wondering, if, if this is an Advent series about Jesus, why are we talking about these characters in the Old Testament? You know, why, why are we not talking about Jesus? And, and that's a good question. So let me, let me see if I can give you the answer and, and Matt can tell you whether I'm right or not. Um, God with us is not just a name for the baby. Right? God with us, it's not just about this baby that would be born. It's a central theme of the story of the Bible. And think about it. In the very beginning of the Bible, it starts out with the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And one of the cool things about the garden is God would come and walk with them in the garden. God was with them in the beginning. That's the way he designed it to be. If you go all the way and flip to the end of your Bibles, you read in Revelation about this new heaven and this new earth, and there's a new Jerusalem connecting them. And one of the things that, that John writes about in this that's so special, he says, and God lives there. He dwells with them. He's with his people. 
So, so God with us, it's the, it's the plan from the beginning. It's the plan at the end. It is the central theme in the Bible. The rest of the scripture is about how mankind messed that up and broke that relationship with God. And then how God has spent all of the, 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 the rest of the story there rebuilding that relationship. Okay, so the reason Jesus came to save us from our sins is so that God can be with us, really, all the time. Now, the scripture includes great stories along the way of instances where God was with individuals to accomplish his plans and purposes. And that's what we're looking at in this series. So in week one, Matt talked about Deborah and how God was with her going before her in the, for that victory in the battle. Week two was Elisha and how when they were surrounded by the enemy armies, God was with them and protecting them. And again, in the first song we sang this morning, uh, we were singing about the tidings of comfort and joy. We see that in these two stories, the, the comfort of God's presence and his protection and the joy of him leading us to victory. But the truth is, God with us is not always comfort and joy. Now, if that messes up your Christmas, I apologize. Um, but it's, it's the truth. And today we're going to look at an instance where Moses experiences a God with us moment that's not comfortable or joyous. So let's, let's take a look. In, in Exodus chapter 3, if you want to follow along with me, if you've got your Bibles, great, turn in there. If not, like I said, you can follow along on the screen. It says this, starting in verse 1, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. I'm going to skip the next couple of verses. Go down to verse 7. It says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for showing us this person that you chose who <laughs> resisted. Who, who wasn't ready to just jump on board. Lord, we find encouragement in that because so many times that's us. Lord, I thank you that, that you chose him anyway. 
and that that you worked through him anyway. I thank you that that your plan was still accomplished. And Lord, uh, may we find wisdom and strength from Moses' story today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Think about it. Think about it. This miracle of the burning bush, right? And Moses sees this, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And he's like, man, I got to go check this out. And he goes and he encounters not just a burning bush that's not burning up. He encounters God. God speaks to him in an audible voice. And God, look at what God promises. He says, he says in that verse, I have come down to rescue them and lead them out of Egypt. So, so this is tidings of good, good news. Um, the people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. It has been bad. It's been a, a long, a lifetime. Moses has never known anything other than God's people being slaves. And now God says, I'm going to deliver them from Egypt. This is great news. And, and, and God is going to use Moses to do it. He says, now go in verse 10. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Okay? So think about it. God says, I'm going to lead them out of Egypt, and I'm going to send you. You're going to lead them out of Egypt. What is God saying? I'm going to be with you, and we're going to do this together. That's incredible. How many times, how many times have you and I wished that God would speak to us that clearly? It's like, God, I don't know what to do. I, I, I want to serve you. I want to do what's right. I, I want to make the right decision. I don't know what to do. Would you just like appear in a burning bush and tell me what you want me to do? Then everything would be great. Everything wasn't great. God appeared in a burning bush, spoke to him directly, and Moses still protested. So that, that whole thing of if God would just make it clear, I would have no trouble obeying, that's a myth because we have a sin nature. We don't want to obey God. We don't want to do what he wants us to do. Even if he knocked us in the head, gave us a you know, text from God, whatever, we're not going to want to do that because we have that sin nature. All right, so, so let's look a little closer at why Moses, who should have been ecstatic, why he's protesting. So look at this in verse 11. It says, Moses, uh, or it says, Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Moses, like many of us, felt inadequate or unprepared. Now, we, we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know that Moses is going to go. He's going to have this confrontation with Pharaoh. It's not going to be an easy thing. There's going to be a showdown. There's going to be all the plagues, all that stuff. But we know Moses is going to lead the people out. And he's going to lead them out not as paupers and slaves, but lead them out rich. Because the people of Egypt are like, here, take my money, get out, leave. And he's going to lead them into the wilderness. They're going to wander in the wilderness for a while, but he's going to lead them to the edge of the promised land. We know all of that, but Moses didn't. He's in the middle of the story, not at the end. All he knows is God saying, go to Egypt. And he says, who am I? Who am I? It's actually a legitimate question. He has some legitimate reasons why he doesn't want to go back to Egypt. First, Moses was Hebrew trash. He was, um, he was born into a family of slaves. 
The Hebrews were the lowest the, the, on the socioeconomic scale. They were slaves. They had no rights. They were, they, nobody respected the Hebrews. That's the kind of family he was born into. And Moses was a victim. Okay? Um, he was a victim. So slavery in itself, that kind of social injustice, he was a victim of that. But it was more than that. If you remember, um, the, the Pharaoh was trying to, 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 to um, stamp out the Israelites, and he had this brilliant idea, and he asked the midwives, he said, look, if it's a baby boy that's being born, kill him. And if it's a girl, you can let them live. And the midwives were like, mm, we're not going to do that. And so they didn't. And then they said, hey, those those women just pop those babies out. We can't really get there in time. And, and so the Pharaoh says, all right, here's what we're going to do. If it's a boy, we're going to make it a law. If there's a baby Hebrew boy, they get thrown into the Nile. Moses' mom was brilliant. She had a baby boy. She kept him hidden as long as she could. And then she made a little boat and she put him in the Nile, just like the law said. Um, only he wasn't thrown in and he was in this boat and she had it put right where Pharaoh's daughter could find it. And she found it and she's like, ooh, cute, a little baby. And um, kind of like finding a puppy or a kitten, she decided she wanted to take it home. Now, if you think about it, <laughs> this, this might be one of the first cases of human trafficking. Um, it, it wasn't sexual in nature, but she found the baby and thought it would be fun to keep it. He was brought into Pharaoh's family, not as an equal, but as an object of pleasure. And we don't know what it was like for Moses growing up in that environment. You know, we don't know whether he was accepted by the Egyptians that he would have gone to school with. We don't even know if he was allowed to go to school. Um, we do know that he knew he was Hebrew and he had a passion for the Hebrew people. That would show up later. So he's a victim. And then he was a murderer. So he, he's out there one day as an adult, and he sees this Egyptian mercilessly beating a Hebrew, and he looks around, nobody's looking, so he kills him and hides his body in the sand. He didn't get away with it. it was, he was found out. Um, he was also a failed leader. He tried to lead. As a matter of fact, the very next day, he saw some Hebrews arguing, and he's like, hey, hey, don't, you don't need to do that. And they're like, you're going to murder us like you did the Egyptian? You know, why should we listen to you? And then Moses is like, oh man, everybody knows. And sure enough, Pharaoh finds out. And so then he becomes a fugitive. He had to run for his life. He fled to the land of Midian. You look at that list. Maybe you can identify with one of those or two of those. Maybe you've had it rough. Maybe you've, you've made some bad decisions. Maybe you were born on the wrong side of the tracks. Maybe you have tried and failed, and you're saying, I can't, God. I can't. Moses identified with all of those. Notice that God didn't say, oh, <laughs> you're right. What was I thinking? Oh, that's, I forgot about that. You can't go back. God didn't say that. Look at what God says. God answered, I will be with you. I will be with you. The point wasn't who Moses was. The point is who God is. It's not dependent on Moses because Moses wouldn't be alone. And besides, God doesn't see things like we do. So let's, let's look at that list again. 
You know, um, here, here's the list. Hebrew trash, victim, murderer, failed leader, fugitive, where society might have viewed Moses as Hebrew trash. From God's perspective, he was God's chosen people. He was, he was part of the, um, um, of, the, of the people God had chosen. Now, Moses might have felt like a victim, but think about this. A slave would never have had the opportunity to address Pharaoh. He wouldn't have known the palace protocols. He wouldn't have had the communication skills. Moses, however, grew up exposed to life in the palace. He was taught what he would need to know to engage Pharaoh. It's like God knew all along what was going to happen. No, God used his circumstances as an opportunity. Right? But what about the next one? I mean, clearly, God does not condone murder. But think about it. That act, what drove him to that? It was a passion for God's people. A passion that Moses would need to lead this stubborn people to freedom. On his own, that passion led to murder. But that passion coupled with God's presence made him a deliverer. All right Now, by failing as a leader he became aware of his inabilities and his need to be dependent on God. With God, he was a humble leader. And then in fleeing from Egypt, he discovered what he would need to become a guide. As you can see in this this map up here, Moses actually traveled through the wilderness to a place called Midian. He spent 40 years hiding out there. He knew the area very well. It was there that he had this God with us moment. His familiarity with this land would come in handy as he would lead God's people back to that very mountain. So yeah, Moses was pretty messed up. But God did not condemn nor dismiss Moses' past. He leveraged it. He leveraged it. And that that's what some of you need to hear today. Maybe you've got a past full of mistakes, regrets, terrible experiences, things you want to leave behind. The truth is we're all messed up. We've all got things we wish we could go back and change. Now for some, some like Moses have started over. You've got a new life. You, you've walked away from that past. You've put it behind you. Things are going well now. And for some of us, God with us might mean facing that past. Know this. Know this, that God doesn't see your past the way you do. God doesn't want you to suffer the past again, but he does want to leverage it for something greater. He can take that addiction or that abuse or that broken relationship, that bad decision, and he can use it to accomplish his purposes. Moses Moses doesn't stop his protests with this excuse, though. He offers a few more. We're going to look at the next three of them here together. Um, So Moses says, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, 
they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Okay, we don't get this. Moses' question here, we're like, dude, tell him God sent you. Uh, what's so hard about that? Here's the thing. The, everybody that's in Egypt has grown up in this Egyptian culture. They had all these different gods. So they had Ra and, and I don't remember the other's names right now, Osiris and, and all these different gods, and they all had names. The God of the Hebrews did not have a name. Nowhere in Scripture up to this point does God have a name. God is a title, not a name, by the way. All right. So when it says in the beginning, God, it's a title. It's, God has never identified what his name is. So Moses is really asking them a trick question. Hey, if they, they ask me, I don't even know your name. What do I tell them? And this is where God responds with that. And I love the fact we sang that too in the song this morning. Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew word that means I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Okay, it, it's, it's great. That's, that's God's name. And then God goes on to, just, to remind Moses, I was the God of your ancestors. I am the God who knows what's going on right now. I'm the God who has a plan to deliver your people. I am. Not I was. He's not the God of the past. He's still God. He'll continue to be God. He is the God who is in all of it. But what Moses is really saying by this, he's saying, I don't know enough. That's his excuse. I don't know enough to go back and lead your people out. They're going to ask me questions and I'm not going to know how to answer it. So I'm just, I don't want to do it. Right? Well, then God, God gives them, you know, he, he, Moses, God gives Moses the answer. And then Moses comes up with another thing. He says, Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Now, remember, Moses has tried to lead once, and they didn't listen to him. It's legit. He said, what if, what if they don't listen to me? And God says, they'll listen. Trust me. They'll listen. And if they don't, here, here's a couple of things you can do in, in the whole thing, throwing the, you know, the shepherd's staff on the ground, and it becomes a serpent, or sticking his hand in his jacket, and it comes out with leprosy on it. That's kind of weird. And he sticks it back in, and it's, it's healed again. And he says, and, and then, you know, you can pour water on the ground and it'll become blood. There's all these little cool tricks. Um, and God says, but they're going to listen to you. And so Moses protests again. And he says, he pleaded with the Lord, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never have been. And, and, and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I, I, get, I, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. So what's his excuses? He says, I don't know enough, I'm not persuasive, and I lack the skills. You ever feel like that? Notice, notice God doesn't say, oh, okay. Well, well here's what we're going to do about it. Go to seminary, get a Bible degree. All right, and then read How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's a great book. And, and then attend a public speaking class. You know, get your skills up. And then we can talk about this. You'll be ready. It's not what God says at all. I love his response. What he says is even better. He says that the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? 
Isn't that a great answer? It's like, look, who do you think makes people talk? You think I don't know you you stutter or you have a hard time speaking, that you get your words get tangled. You think I don't know that? And and they're gonna hear what I want them to hear, even if you mess it all up. You know? They're gonna see what I want them to see. Now go. In other words, stop whining, go. And there it is again. I will be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in what to say. (laughs) God did not deny Moses' limitations. He designed them. Let that sink in. He designed your limitations. They're not faults. They're part of how God designed you. God doesn't want Moses to depend on his own abilities. God wants Moses to depend entirely on him. And that's what some of you need to hear today. You felt God's tugging on your heart. You sensed him calling you to something greater, but you've argued that you don't have the abilities or the resources or the influence or whatever. And God says to you, I know. Trust me. Trust me. I will be with you. Others of us have a different struggle. You know, some of you are super talented and you have skills and abilities that other people don't. And and with that comes the tendency to rely on ourselves instead of on God, to forget where those skills and abilities actually come from. And God says to us, who gave those to you? Who controls how effective they can be? Depend on me alone. So how does Moses respond to all this? It says, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. See, here's the thing. Moses didn't want to face his past. He didn't want to go back to Egypt. He had walked away from that. He had started over. He was comfortable in his new life. He was married. He had a couple of kids. What would happen to them? This God with us moment wasn't comfort and joy. It was the very opposite. It was uncomfortable. It was scary. It was inconvenient. And Moses wanted nothing to do with it. Send someone else. Anyone else. And that made God mad. Some of you you are going here, and this is the first thing you've paid attention to, the whole thing. You said, there it is. I knew it. That's why I don't like the Old Testament. Angry God. Old Testament is all about judgment. New Testament's grace. Let's do New Testament, love and grace and, and all that. But, but bear with me. Look, look at the very next verse. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He'll be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. See, God doesn't condemn Moses, even though he is angry with him. He goes on, he says, I will be with both of you as you speak. I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. 
Take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. See, I'll be with both of you. God with us. God, despite Moses' rebellion, still works with him. And he makes a way for him. Yes, he's angry with Moses being rebellious, but he doesn't reject him. In fact, I want to point out that it had said he was angry with Moses, not angry at Moses. There's a difference. Even in the anger, God is with us. And that's what some of you need to hear today. God did not give up on Moses. God did not give up on him. He pursued him and he provided support for him. That's the kind of loving, faithful God that we serve. You may think God is so done with you that you've made him so angry that it could never be made right. But that's just not true. That's not how God works. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done. It doesn't matter if you've tried and failed over and over again, or if you've never tried at all. It doesn't matter that you've said, no, send somebody else, send anyone else. I stand here and declare to you that God has not given up on you. He hasn't. He's pursuing you. And he's brought you here today with a group of people who will love you and support you and help you. And he's promised to be with you. It might be uncomfortable at first, but I promise you, God with us is a message of comfort and joy. I'm going to pray. and We're going to stand. We're going to sing. The altar is open. I think Brian's going to be on this side. I'll be over here. If you want to come, if you want to wrestle through this with God, he's waiting for you. He wants you. If you want to come bring something at the altar and leave it there, do it. If you're ready to say, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to trust you. I know you've got it, even if I don't feel like you've got it. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for, for taking the, the, the things in our past that we're so ashamed of and leveraging them for your glory. Thank you for, for taking our inadequacies, for, for giving us inadequacies to remind us that we need you, that we have to depend on you. And thank you that you don't give up. You don't give up on us. You pursue us. You come after us and you provide support for us because you are with us.